Welcome to Taking Back Our Corners, the officially unofficial podcast for We Own This City on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're here today to talk about David Simon and George Pelicano's brand new show, uh, just released this week today, as of the time you're hearing this, probably. Uh, we've seen the first episode, and we're here to talk about it. Aaron, what are your general thoughts on this project? This feels like watching the first episode of The Wire, right? Or Boy, similar to ever. the first episode of Game of Thrones, the first episode of The Expanse. Like you are thrown into a large world that's fully populated with realistic characters that are not going to sit there and be like, oh, hi, viewer. This is the first time you're watching this show. Let me call- catch you up and everything. It's told in a very interesting time where it, it discovers like two or three years of Baltimore history. And jumps kind of back and forth in your only clue. There's going to be one, the, the, the most jarring one is going to be preceded by a black screen that says two years previously. Yeah. But you kind of jump around the timeline. You got to pay attention to like police reports that are being typed in front of you to see like what the POV is, what the date. It is standard David Simon uh, Pelicano storytelling where they do throw you kind of in the deep end and want the storytelling and the intrigue to be strong enough to put up to 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 swim essentially to not sink mm-hmm. um and i find that really fun i really like being in a show that makes me kind of like work uh, uh work a sweat that like and, and rewards like close watching and 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 making clever connections and paying attention to people's faces but I also think like a lot of their series, it's also designed to kind of like if you just let this wash over you for an episode or two, you're just going to start getting it. You know, sure. you're going to understand that G money is this guy and and the person that they're under yeah. invest is Shropshire is working for this guy. And, and you'll just you'll just kind of get it. Uh, but yeah, I think this tough. is super interesting. What did you think? Uh, I, I agree. This is very much like the experience, how it felt watching the first episode of The Wire, actually the first like four episodes of The Wire. Sure, it, but I wasn't podcasting that show, and as a podcaster, I feel the ne- right. the need to dig into this and understand it on a fundamental level. Like, okay, who are these characters? What are they doing? Why are they doing it? And I need to know all that in the first episode. And it's really confounding in this episode, I think, because there are a lot of things going on. They don't hold your hand. They don't explain. And when you see these characters, I I, I thought like. Because characters have multiple roles in this show, I honestly thought I was watching a couple of different actors who they just casted to look very similar. Um, yeah. When in fact, we were talking before this, and you said, "No, those are the same actors. Those are the same people, and they're both they're playing both sides." And I'm like, "Okay, that makes a hell of a lot more sense based on what I was seeing." Um, but yeah, they don't they don't walk you through any of that. There's also a lot of assumed knowledge i think because they're using lingo right like law enforcement lingo political lingo stuff that they just kind of expect you to either already know and be deep enough into the subject matter that they're talking about or be willing to go look it up and i had to look up several things like what is a consent decree uh because they're talking about you know these very specific like law enforcement things that if you don't know you're going to be kind of lost as to what they're trying to do here although you will still get the big picture i'm not saying like you have to you're going to fall through the cracks and the show won't make any sense to you but i think it's going to be more beneficial and maybe if you're not a podcaster this won't be a problem you'll you'll pick it up over the next three episodes or whatever but for me it was definitely a problem and a thing where i had to go look a lot of stuff up 
Yeah, I think it's it's weird because I, I think this sometimes people get like antsy when a show is based on reality that uh, they're feeling like they're not because like I I think it's true that you could read this book uh you know we own this city if you are familiar with like the police reform and so this the corruption in the gun task force the gun trace task force program of Baltimore that you're going to be a couple of steps ahead um oh, yeah. and and that, like I know a little bit about the Freddie Gray situation from some research I did on a previous political podcast and hmm. um I'm I'm going to treat this information cuz here's what I think I think we should treat this information like we're watching Game of Thrones and the first time we hear the words children of the forest. Okay. Um, like just because we're not familiar with the concept doesn't mean that the authors of the show or the material are, are unaware that we're unfamiliar. And I think that Simon and Pelicanos like to educate. So they, they throw this stuff in as immersive world building. Right. Yeah. Uh, but they're going, I, I'm, I'm going to take it for granted. They're going to explain. And I also will ask people to giving a feedback to kind of like, keep that in mind too, that like, we don't need to know everything about, the gun trace task force, the Freddie yeah. Gray situation, we should give Pelicanos and Simon a chance to like, tell us what, what, what we need to know about that as a, you know, cause otherwise it's like, you're literally reading a couple chapters ahead of game of Thrones trying to, you know, spoil sure. the show for yourself. So it's, it's going to be, but on the other hand, yeah, I think, the, like I said, Oh, go ahead. I, I was gonna say the thing that shows like that do the, the works of fiction where they're building worlds from scratch that you couldn't possibly have any knowledge about is they give you an audience proxy. And I, yeah. I don't feel like, like Dave and George give you an audience proxy here at all. Like the closest thing to it is the, the attorney who comes in to work with uh, Nicole on, uh, on the Baltimore problem. Right. But like he's already got so much institutional knowledge that, Mm-hmm. You, you really don't get a lot of proxy through him. Yeah, I I will bet, though, that you don't need to know what a consent decree like as the, yeah. is, or to the extent that you do, they're going to explain it throughout the series. Mm-hmm. Um, but to what you need to know right now is that, like, it's a a piece of paper that only means as much as an institution wants to invest in it. And sure. if there's going to be a changing of power, a changing of a guard, one administration handing off to another, that there's like, like to me, the bottom line is this series is kind of like the wire updated, like, like, you know, 20 mm-hmm. years later and Simon saying, you know, you're familiar with the concepts. Like it's so helpful. It's so helpful. If you are in a wire, a, uh, the wire alum, because like he's building on previous concepts like juking the stats. You know, mm-hmm. they don't talk about that, but this is essentially the institution finding new ways to uh sweep things under the rug, to say that you're trying to do things without actually doing them. It's it's human's tendency to sloth and greed and laziness at an institutional level. Yeah. Um and like I said, I, I don't like I, I, I don't wanna now, since we are podcasters, I did take the time to research and look up a bunch of this stuff so that I can help help you if if that if that's helpful but like i said it's going to be a weird balance because we could just literally grab the wikipedia articles for all these things involved or we could have right i I could you know any of us could read we own the city and know exactly what's going to be the fate of sergeant jenkins and you know the hunky uh detective mc Mc, mcnudy what's his name (laughs) mcdougal mcdougal thank you uh but you know i I, we try to be a show first cast and they do a really yeah. good job you know david and george of uh, breaking these complex things down into entertaining little vignettes for us mm-hmm. so 
I think we should, we, we, we can probably trust them. It, you're going to feel lost like you do in one of these projects, yeah. like like we did the first season of The Deuce, and um, but but I I I think I think we're going to probably see all this stuff on the screen, and that's probably the best way to experience it. You know. Yeah, the other thing that struck me about this series or this first episode is I expected to see a lot more resistance to accountability than I was seeing from the higher ups. Um, and maybe this is just, you know, what came in the aftermath of Freddie Gray's killing. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I guess I expected the police commissioner to be more resistant to the, the Department of Justice coming in and, and looking through their records. I expected the mayor to be more resistant to it. I expected a lot more pushback on accountability. It seems like all the higher ups are pretty much on board with we need accountability, but they don't have necessarily the tools to get the job done, which well, is definitely something they're talking about here. Oh, and then that's why I said like the juking the stats is like you're also seeing how much of this is lip service that no one has any intention of following. Sure. Through. And like you said, the police chief, the the police commissioner that you're dealing with now is a brand new guy that right. replaced the guy who was digging his heels in. And yeah. so like he's got, uh, you know, this isn't his mess that he inherited. So he's got a vested interest to try to get to the bottom of because it's the only way out for him politically. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the mayor who does have responsibility and saying, yeah, I'm the person, you know, blame me. I'm at the buck stops here is also not going to seek reelection. So the buck's going to stop right. someone else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that was one of the more interesting things when we get to talking about that is how administrations change, how people who are accountable can dodge accountability, maybe. Because that, that seemed to me like a dodge from her. Yes. But oh, obviously, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, if I resign, I won't be actually prosecuted on any of this. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Well, it, it was a very interesting and compelling first episode, I'd say. All right, well, I think that's enough kind of the basic talk. Let's let's get an in-depth uh, dive into this episode. Uh, but first, let's take a quick break. Okay, before we get, because we're going to do this very similar if you were uh, a veteran, a veteran of our The Deuce cast, we kind of thread these by points of view, uh, by storyline, um, because, again, some of this stuff is diced and, and edited so fine it would take forever to recap it scene by scene. Uh, we think it flows better, has better conversation that way. But before we get into the POV stuff, I want to talk about uh, the credits. Um, what do you think of these credits? Because I thought this was a bit of a departure from some of the other Simon work I've I've seen. Oh, uh, boy. What are the credits? They're just like scenes of, of, of like cell phone videos and helicopter videos of police chasing and, and beating people. Uh, it's like a montage of police brutality and protests yeah. slash riots against same lots of bodies, lots of guns, lots of drugs and violence. No justice, on the table. no peace, that kind of thing. It is um, more of um, shouted out. It wasn't as art like um, when I think of the. It wasn't as musically, I guess, artistic uh, uh-huh. inclined as some of the others. Like I'm, I'm watching Treme right now, and that that fucking intro is a powerhouse. You know, the wire, they got to keep the devil. And they, they had that kind of like different and the deuce, you know, had like really strong thematic music for every one of their seasons. Uh, this is just kind of like dissonant chords and, mm-hmm. you know, just just chaos, uh, which is an interesting choice. It wasn't as as jazzy and showy as some of the other the intros they've had. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's start with the start. Sergeant Wayne Jenkins. Has played uh, lobe forward 
by uh, John Bernthal. <laughs> sure is. He he keeps it uh high and loose, high and loose. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, the man the man's got got the lobes. Uh, yeah. What do we think? So I think Sergeant Wayne Jenkins is an interesting guy because the yeah. big thing that uh, there's still about because I'm I'm not super familiar. Again, I've I've read a bit about Freddie Gray, but I'm not super familiar with this Baltimore Gun Trace Task Force. Mm-mm. But like his introductory scenes, I feel like he's saying exactly what you want to hear a police officer to say. 100%. Like, yeah, we're gonna have to fight. Or we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to like scrap out there. We have to control these streets, and we are the law. <laughs> kind of Judge Dreddy, but like it's it's. But but he's saying like we got to do it the right way, and not just because it's right to not beat on people and to do this, but like it. And this is a theme that goes through the wire that if you do the beat on people strategy, it gets in the way of actual police work. And yeah. and I thought that's such a, you know, uh, like, like it takes us away from doing the stuff that's worth taking a bullet for, you know, mm. rapes, robber, violent robberies, murders, arson, things that like you are seen as heroic by civilization to clamp down on. You can't do that work if you're out there, you know, trying to be Batman or pro wrestling it up or just brutalizing people. Yeah. Yeah. You end up uh, entangled in the internal affairs department and all that stuff. So yeah. And the, the final line on this opening scene, I think like says it all, right? Like if, if you, your hands are not tied, right? You have the authority. And as long as you understand your authority and as long as you work within the law and know the law, you're going to win. Like you're, you're going to win where it actually, where that stuff actually matters. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah, when I see this Wayne Jenkins, I'm like, okay, this guy is one of the good ones, right? Like right. he's spe- he's speaking to uh, a tendency maybe of people who join up on the force to want to flex their authority, and he knows that these people have those tendencies, so he's speaking to that and redirecting it. And I think that's about as good as you could really hope for in the current system. <laughs> And he's appealing at them on several different levels, right? He's like not he's like appealing to you like because I think everyone I don't know, there's this um I think stereotypical view uh by some that the police are uh attracts a bunch of violent kind of bully authoritarian types. And it certainly does. It does some of that, yes. But I also I think attracts people who have a calling to do good, you know? Uh sure. and and those type of people kind of get beat down by the system, but right. he's appealing to that kind of like, let's do like, let's get out there. Let's, let's uh, like know the law, know our place within the law, exercise our authority in a legitimate uh, fashion, get to know people, do that neighborhood policing, get everyone on our side, you know, rah, rah, rah. But also, also when you go to court, do you want to go into court with a whole bunch of ticky tack bullshit? that's going to fall uh, apart on a cross. Or do you want to get the stuff that gets you convictions that gets you big busts, that gets you high profile promotions (laughs) and gets you paid. So he's got like, he's he's appealing to both of their, like their better angels and also the, the part of them that just kind of wants to get ahead. Yeah, exactly. And everything, all those uh, are. So, but then they back it up. This is all intercut with him and his crisp (laughs) Baltimore patrol blues, twirling a nightstick and patrolling his neighborhood on a lot. And, and then he goes, so like, he goes up and he he there's a guy that staggers out of a liquor store. Mm-hmm. He's got a paper bag around his his bottle of whatever. 
and Bernthal, you know, Jenkins looks him up and down, looks him, and the guy starts to walk off. He smashes his bottle. What are they saying here? What are they saying? We got the introduction of him saying, hey, we got to do everything right. We got to do everything. And then we see this on the street. What, what did you think of the, the juxtaposition here of these scenes? I mean, I think it's supposed to be just that. It's supposed to be the, the contrast between what he says and what he does. But they also do another contrast in this episode, which makes him look pretty innocuous until you get to the last scene in this thing where they're actually arresting his ass. Because uh, Hersel is far more egregious in this episode. I mean, he's just doing shit that's straight up illegal and abusive. See, I, so, I was trying to think, I was like, are the, is that what they're trying to say? Is this like what a, a cop looks like who is a good cop? He's patrolling the street, plain clo- like, you know, he's, he's, in his, he's in his uniform. He's not a plain clothes guy ripping and rolling. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he stops this guy who is drunk, who's sta- like, he's publicly yeah, breaking the he law. Could, sure. He could bring this guy in for public intoxication. Instead, mm-hmm. he lets the guy, he like challenges the guy. And I think that if the guy had like thrown that bottle in the trash can, but in the end, he smashes it, but that's it. That's where it stops. Right. He doesn't brutalize the guy. He doesn't take him downtown. He doesn't give him a criminal record. He's upholding the law. And the only way, the only thing that, the only thing that kind of get sticks on my craw is I am a wire alumni. Mm-hmm. And I remember the big season three arc, the Bunny Colvin's paper bag speech. Where they talk about, um, you know, the Baltimore passes uh, restriction on public drinking back in the 50s, and it causes big problem because everybody wanted to, you know, everybody wanted to enjoy a, a, a beer on their front porch, sure. and you know, and why the reasons are, and it's like, you know, that if the if the cops crack down on that, then they're going to lose their neighborhoods, but if they let it, there's going to be open defiance of the law. The, the invention of the paper bag, you slide your, your bottle of your choice in the paper bag, then the cops can look the other way because who, who knows, knows it could be is. a bottle yeah. of, yeah, it's, it's this legal fiction. He called it a historic civic compromise, hmm. uh, you know, I, for just bad lawmaking. So that's like, to me, it's like, it, it, it's, it's tinged with a little bit of malice because it's going against that doctrine of that guy was observing. Now, but again, yeah, is he was, sta- sure. he wasn't just on a porch minding his business, talking with his fellas. He was staggering around drunk, publicly intoxicated. W- what I'm getting at, cause uh, let's go to the next scene. So yeah. the next scene we flashed. So this was in January. He's doing this raw, raw, I think is the, maybe the first meeting of the gun task force. Like this is a, rec- this is his like recruiting speech for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in February and they got maybe one of their first assignments. I'm not sure how the timeline works out here, but, uh, Jenkins is going to lead a raid on this stash house. They go in there, they find these people. Uh, there's a ton of guns in here. Yeah. Um, one of his, like one of the guys that is in custody mouths off to Jenkins and one of his guys pistol whips him. Yep. And Jenkins did not like it, but he didn't comment on it he didn't say anything either he just kind of gives a look and, and not even to the guy necessarily just kind of so the camera knows right so what do you think was that because like i think the the implication cl- is clear that like that guy probably needs to be talked to later because that's not how he yeah. wants to do his policing well but is he actually going to get the talking to I, I i'm not sure because yeah if these are rookies and they're just coming in from the force and that's just kind of how the force rolls but not how he wants his task force to roll then Sure, I could see that, you know, he he's still uh, on the good cop side. But if this is just yeah. going to be something 
he overlooks in favor of getting the guns off the street. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of stuff where you get into the gray areas, right? And it's it's in my opinion not even a gray area. Like I think the policing right. should be done cleaner. Right. I mean, as I said, like, I think um, the best version of, cop, of, of Sergeant Jenkins, like, grabs his guy right then and there and is like, we don't fucking do that. This is the kind of right. shit that I was talking about. Reinforces that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a sh- complete shitbird cop just looks the other way or even encourages it. And then there's this still, like, okay, what's he, like, I don't know. Because is it the right place <laughs> to, to take your guy and manhandle him in front of all this, like why you're trying to get control of this crime scene. You still haven't cleared the top floor. You need these guys on. There is going to be gray areas in policing for sure. Totally. Totally. And, and the episode does a great job of keeping me kind of guessing on this guy. Um, even to the very end, like I'm, I'm not even certain that when he's arrested, he's arrested for the right reasons. Cause his name's, That's- Never comes up when they talk about about, these 27 cops or whatever who can't testify because they're assholes and lie, perjure themselves. Like, it it makes me wonder, like, okay, what are the circumstances leading to his arrest? I mean, he's a very cocky guy. I'm inclined, like, not to like him just because of that. But also, you know, but the question remains, like, is he a bad cop? I still think there are questions at the end of the episode. So they, they, they find uh, up in this room, there are a couple things here of note, uh, just a shit ton of guns. There's like probably a dozen long rifles. They talk about them being like AR-15s and shotguns, and they find just, just cases of ammo. This is a big this is a big find for Gun Trace Task Force. Yeah. Um, but there's also something at the end where this is the Shades of Grey, where he gets like this kind of look on his face, like John Travolta just opened up the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. And the gold yeah. light, bay, he's got like this kind of like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. And his men are like, what are, what's in there? What's in there? They don't pay that off. Do you have any? It's gotta be the kid, right? Like, cause he kid? picks up throughout this episode. Yeah. Like when, during this scene, when he's yeah. going in the house, he picks up like this toy dump truck and tosses it down the stairs. And you There's never definitely see a children's kid in present house. in this, in this, but like right. I want, so I didn't, man, I was, that's interesting. Cause the other thing I thought would be like, if there's just a pile of money. <laughs> untraceable cash yeah. and that would give us a definite hint to his corruption um if it's a kid that's that's kind of, that's yeah. interesting could could be money could be money if he's taking money because don't they make yeah. a thing about that later uh, and i would say this episode. isn't like a one of those crazy stash houses this isn't one like something that like omar would knock over this is a resident no. this is a domicile that's put together nice stuff but upstairs there is just a shit ton of guns and drugs maybe the so i, I was like I'm, I'm also talk. like, if he'd have found the kid there, it's not like, 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 like it's a flop house where it's like, oh right. my god, this like, child's in big deal. deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a kid hiding in the closet because they're scared because someone busted in the door. The, That's the not fucking a big deal. BPD yeah. just bust through the door. Yeah. But they talk later yeah. about the IAD stuff, right? The Internal Affairs House. They right. send like a, a monitor on every mission not the with city. them. They made a distinction. They don't do that. The city stops, and this is a city stop. Huh. Okay. So, so that could so, be it, what they're getting at, right? There's no IED officer. That's what I'm saying. There's so, a multi-level so storytelling going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But it could be like, I, I, I'm just saying it's a big mystery. It's one of the big mysteries yeah. of the episode. Uh, he then, he's got, the, he's got all these guns and stuff, and his guys are coming back to the, and they're triumphant. They're like, you know, Caesar returning with the spoils of war. And he bust balls with the detective Soder, Suter. Uh, which, did you recognize this guy? Uh... Sh- should I? 
he's Marlo from the no Wire. fucking way. Okay, yeah, Jamie Jamie Hector. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah you know. So he's, he's he's switched sides. He's now a detective. Turns out these guys were rookies together, coming up through the system. He's two years tri- shy from his twenty, um, and so Sergeant Jenkins is sitting here talking about bragging about his bust. But also saying, like, you know, why are they out there trying to find guns? It's not just taking guns out the street, but they're going to run all these through ballistics, mm-hmm. which might turn up leads in a murder. And, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, good, good one there, Wayne. It's another feather in your cap. But there's something that Suter doesn't really approve of. Uh, yeah, you, I don't you wonder know why, what though. he knows, like, mm-hmm. like how involved he is on, in, in whatever investigation we're going to be along uh, for yeah. at the end. Uh, which we're going to, we're going to, um, so this, um, this is going to be the bookends of the episode. We start with Sergeant Jenkins. We end with Sergeant Jenkins. Um, and we're going to take this all at once. At the end of the episode, we have a Comstat presentation. This is the computerized statistics, uh, that they all go over the stats that they're all go all the commissioners and the, the high muckety mucks, uh, review on a weekly basis. And he's, you know, they're, they're, throughout the episode, they showed that the, the Baltimore Police Department is now arrest averse and arrests are way down because the cops are malingering and because they're also somewhat legitimately afraid of going viral. And I think there's this intentional, get, the intentional work slowdown, right? Like, they're that's not what I said about malingering. Like, yeah. That's, it, but is it because they're afraid or because they're angry that, like, they're being, um, crucified for this like they don't see that they've done anything wrong and so oh, they're like, definitely angry yeah yeah they, they're definitely yeah. It, it's but i think it's probably both like you know they're they're angry at any restrictions at all because right who knows but also you know they might be legitimately taken aback like every time we arrest somebody there's like 20 yeah. cameras in her face and people are screaming fuck which you know, is fuck what that 12 first scene with Nicole is all about. Right. Right. Which we'll get to here in a minute. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he's talking about how his people don't worry about going viral because they do things the right way and look at the results from a latest raid and tell us about your probable cause and how you got in there. And like, he's people are just glowing about this guy. Uh, what, cut what, are to, the chance, what are the chances of going viral in a raid where you're breaking into someone's house? Right. It's not, it, it's not dude, like you, you're getting out in the public and arresting people on the street. <laughs> I, but I'm saying like in the, in today's day of door camera doorbell cameras and everyone recording shit driving down the street and GoPro like it's yeah like the, eventually we'll either end up in a fascist police state or cops will get their shit together just because I think of the presence of cameras like I I feel like body yeah. cam I don't know we'll, we'll we're let's yeah plenty of season plenty of season sure for plenty me to pop of season left <laughs> yep. Uh, but they cut to the commissioner, the police commissioner, which we will we'll meet here in a minute, getting some bad news and complaining that the FBI couldn't tell him earlier about an investigation into his officers. Apparently seven police officers, at least, it could get worse, are going to be taken into federal custody tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, there's also a scene where the IAD kind of slickly maneuvers events so that Jenkins will show up to the dispatch. They think he's 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 going to he, he thinks he's going to be responding to a minor complaint about uh destruction of government property and in reality he is going to be taken down by a platoon of marines uh yeah. is so so he goes is there so he checks in his gun and i think he knows something's up because people are being mm-hmm. unusually cold to him are they saying something about the excess of police force like like when the fbi arrests this guy they do show up in full battle rattlers like six dudes with guns, this guy's unarmed. They slam him against the wall. Like, 
is there like a meta commentary that this is just like fucking in the DNA, this overwhelming force doctrine, like even amongst their own? It could be. I because I don't know why they just don't meet. I don't know why two dudes in a suit just don't meet him at the top of the stairwell and like click bracelets on him. Like what? I mean, yeah, he's in a police facility. It's not like he's gonna run. Uh... He has no gun. They just they, he had to right. go through a metal detector. They checked all that shit out. Like they, and Eternal Affairs is not stupid. They make yeah, you lock your right. boom boom. I don't. I just thought it's like it's 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 interesting that they they did it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, his commissioner wants to eyeball him for a moment, and he goes in there and he makes eye contact, and he does not break it. Which yeah. the, the the police commissioner reads brazen, but I'm still that shade of gray where I don't know this guy has done anything like FBI federal penitentiary wrong. He could be stupid. He could not know what his officers are doing because we're going to find out his officers are doing a lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which way are you know. leaning? We'll see. Is this guy dirty, I mean, clean, somewhere look, between? John Bernthal plays a really good shithead. Uh, <laughs> he sure almost, does. Almost too good to where he shows up on screen and I'm like, that guy's guilty. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I'm leaning toward guilty, but I don't know, man. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt right now because everything I've he... heard from him sounds good. He puts so much energy into mad dogging this police yeah. chief commissioner. Like the camera's on him for like thirty seconds, and like <laughs> his eyeballs are twitching. Yep, he's he's going from one side to another. Like you, uh, you got something? You got something? You got something? You want? You you know who I? Like he's he's just really he's bringing Punisher energy yeah. into this this scene, man. Totally. You guys know who the fuck I am? Uh, yeah. It's, it's so so th- there there's the other central mystery. What did what did Sergeant Jenkins see in that upstairs bedroom, and what is his whole deal, man? Is he a part of this corruption we're going to be uncovering? Because the next scene see? is that takes up a, a quite a bit of uh, the episode is the FBI's interrogation of one Momadou G Money. Now. This is where I think the conceit of the episode is really clever because we think this guy is just a criminal being interrogated by, yeah. you know, uh, the police slash the prosecutors. Turns out this is an FBI full blown invest uh, FBI investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think this was like twisty enough. It threw you a little bit. You want to talk about it? Oh, totally. Yeah, the, this guy. Um, I, I'm like. When I'm watching the rest of the episode, I, I see another guy who looks similar to him. I'm like, boy, they they could have done a better job casting more distinctive looking people because this dude looks just like this guy who hit Anderson's place for Shropshire. And I'm like, that can't that, that can't be right. I guess like I, I mean, I guess I guess that's right. You know, OK, they arrested him and he's two years in the future now. And like they're they're going after him. But then I see this other cop. Who is right. definitely a cop? Like he's horsing around with other cops. The You're some right. police chief comes over and horses around with him, and I'm like, "That's the that guy looks identical. Can't be the same guy because he's a cop, and there's no way he goes out and busts people on the streets by day." And then Shropshire doesn't know that he's working with a cop because that would be all over the streets. Right. He turns out like, I'm the dumb one. Yeah. And Shropshire does know this, and in fact, he, that's why he's working with him. I. Because he's right. a dirty cop, I he's less an undercover cro- cop than he's an undercover criminal <laughs> working. Yeah, as a criminal inside the cop organization, it's yeah. He's a plain clothes it threw me. Ro- thief. 
Um, I guess that shows you where my benefit of the doubt lies, right? Like, the cops would be doing the right thing, trying to bust this guy, not doing the shady shit, getting paid on the side. But the thing is, is this another central mystery? Because we know the what, Mm -hmm. but we don't know the why. Why is this happening? How does does John Bernthal's character, does Sergeant Jenkins know? Um, There's a lot of interesting information that will probably be, you know, uh, relevatory later. Like, um, they talk about, you know, when did you know this, this Brill guy? Uh, you don't even for five, you came up in the same hood. Uh, how long have you been robbing houses? He mentioned that they asked him about Belvedere Towers, and there's a significant look between the lawyers, uh, or I guess between the FBI agents when he says that he does, because, you know, this, this Belvedere Towers projects features later on in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he's trying to get, inf- it's funny because they're trying to get information from him and he's trying to get information from them about how they came up on this, how they know. I'm not sure why, whether it's just for his curiosity, or does he see some way out of this? Right. I don't know. Um, so yeah, so like later on in the episode, we'll get to ne- another sequence where they've got uh, these other characters um, have this drug dealer under surveillance. And uh, this guy named Anderson, uh, a.k.a. Black, uh, pulls out of his apartment complex, and we see another crew pull in. Uh, it's revealed that G-Money is going to be the wheelman, and there's two other guys who happen to be on the person of interest on the big board that uh, McDougal and everybody's keeping, keeping track of. They kick in Black's door. So next, uh, next thing we see, they're at the club, and they're bragging about how well the robbery went down. Uh, Shropshire is, the, the, I think, the person that they're working for. Yeah, he's there in the booth with him. And he's got the presence of mind to you know, worry if they got seen, if there's going to be any blowback uh, from any of this. And they're like, oh, no, we're, everything's fine. Uh, the next scene, it's daytime, and they're meeting this guy named Detective Cluel. Um, and his first indication that they're a cop in the episode is... Because like, they're just talking like criminals, and this guy pulls up, and they're like talking about getting a payday. He's like, chill, this guy's a... And I thought that they were... On they they were criminals that were like payoff officers, but they got a real cop showing up. But he kind of talks and they kind of bust each other's ass, uh, or bust each other's balls, and then they strap on bulletproof vests and they mount up to go do some kind of raid. Right. And I'm like, holy shit, these guys are cops. <laughs> At that point, I was like, holy shit, these guys look so much like the other guys because <laughs> I didn't get it. I did not yeah. get it the first watch through. Yeah. Um, there's a scene where they stop this guy, uh, they got this guy out on the street and they're, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're giving him the business, searching through his car for drugs. They find a gun in a car. Um, but they're like, the cops are, um, uh, G money and his fellow officers or fellow corrupt officers are, are like asking like, well, they got this guy, but why did we pull him over? And he's like, I don't know, obscure license plate. Uh, which he ends up making happen. He fucks up right. with the guy's license plate holder to like justify their arrest and you know inner rears. And they do this other thing where they have one of their this guy's sergeants pull up and acting like the jig is up, mm-hmm. and it's just them him being a I guess a fun cop supervisor and just busting their balls. A lot of ball busting this episode. So why did they pull this guy over? Is it a rival of Shropshire who Shropshire is just like bust this guy? So it's either information that a criminal informant because that's the thing they're playing both sides it's either information that a criminal informant gave them 
which is well and good, but unless they have mm-hmm. like a, they still need a warrant or whatever, and they either didn't wait for it or like you said, it's it's a uh, uh, one of the Shropshire's um, uh, uh, competitors, and they're using the cops to kind of like squeeze them out. Right, could be either. So, I don't know. Um, but uh, so then. After this, we're back with the FBI investigation, and he asked them, and the thing is, we don't have subtitles for this. I think he said, was Ellis one of yours? And I think he's talking about the person they pulled over, or someone else that we haven't met yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And the FBI agent's obviously demure, and he maintains that, like, yeah... You guys are up here in your, your federal offices, and everything's neat and clean and tidy. We're down in the streets. We got the guns. We got the drugs. We were the cops that they wanted. You know, it's kind of this is like the Jack Nicholson. You can't handle the truth speech. He get he's given to the FBI officers. Yeah. Is there a world in which they think they're doing the right thing, or is this like a Vic Mackey, the Shield, like it this the job got away from him kind of situation? I mean, it could be either. I think people can delude themselves into thinking that you know the ends justify the means constantly <laughs> yeah so yeah could be either okay let's next go to p- uh, points of view of that now these are county police officers mm-hmm. these do not the, the important thing to understand about these next gentlemen is they do not work for the baltimore police department they work for the surrounding counties or maybe even the uh if, if baltimore has a county that that county as well it's detectives mcdougall and hawk and helpfully, uh, we're going back to, I think we're going back two years, the, the June 2015 for the rest of the sequence. Um, so this is at the very beginning, I guess, of like uh, all this gun task force stuff going down. And they're at a uh, unfortunate individual's apartment who has been partying with a girl named Ashley. And they had a little bit too much and they OD'd and... Uh, paramedics got there to, 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 to keep one of them alive, but the other one actually died. Um, and McDougal and Hawk are trying to get information out of them. What'd you think of, uh, all this? Uh, I mean, the important thing here is that they, they get a look at the drugs and where he's been buying them and what they are. And they've got these bumble bag, uh, bumblebee symbols on the bags. Um, and they've seen a few others of these and they ask him, you know, where, where he's been buying and who he's been buying from. And that's what puts them on to Anderson and, and the Alameda, which is where he works, I guess. Are they hinting at like the fentanyl crisis that probably didn't even have a name back then, but like could be. Yeah. Cause like, you know, what is about these bumblebees that are like, you know, they min- mentioned like this bumblebee stuff is laying people out. Like, you know, people that are know about the, how to handle their highs and they're not, you know, bubblegum poppers. Uh, it's killing mm-hmm. them. And they said there's like it's dropped 12 bodies so far. Um, yeah. And that number gets up to at least 20 by the end of this episode. So, yeah. I, for half of my notes, I call the, the Detective McDougal Detective Dreamboat because this guy's <laughs> ridiculously good looking. I was going to call him Detective Skywalker because he's just Hayden Christensen, right? Like he looks identical. <laughs> he's a little like, he like darker, darker, AF. darker hair. Yeah. yeah. But he's got those just dreamy eyes, man. <laughs> Um, so they go back to the, their precinct and, uh, detective dreamboat and his partner here, Hawk are doing police work and mm-hmm. Hawk has managed to narrow down, uh, a, a man with the name Anderson with an alias of black. 
down to one probable in all of the Baltimore and County surrounding counties crime system, which is pretty amazing. Uh-huh. And he's connected to this Shropshire guy, uh, AKA Brill. So you'll see that there is a two years ago, uh, the Shropshire you're supposed to understand and start to understand his investigation. Um, Baltimore County is also currently working it. a guy named Kil- Kilpatrick. So they're going to have to kind of like see what he knows and maybe get in for, uh, get a permission before they horn in on his suspect. Um, yeah. And I, I, the, the one cop, what, what do you say? The, the other cop's name is not the Hayden Christmas one. Uh, uh Hawk. Hawk. He, I, I love his comment about like, Oh, Kilpatrick. And he says some, calls him some Irish slur slur. Right. <laughs> and then the other cop, like careful. The Irish are everywhere. His name's fucking McDougal. We find out in the very so, next scene his name is McDougal, right. yeah. In that scene, like, he calls up Kilpatrick, and he's like, yeah, this is McDougal for Kilpatrick. And I'm like, oh, my God. Well, this does, like, this strikes me, like, you know, this is like the, um, uh, in Breaking Bad, you know, like, Hank would bust his uh, Latino br- uh, partners, yeah. and they'd use, like, racial slurs with each other, because there is a little bit, like, you know, on that side of the quote-unquote thin blue line, you know, there's this esprit de corps that... And it's just interesting because, like, you like Hawk is this you know black detective, but like his mm-hmm. uh, cubicles festooned and back the black thin blue line, black American flag with the thin blue line. Like it, he is like a, a back the blue supporter because he's a cop, right? Sure. It shows like it's yeah. you know there's interesting there's interesting like like speaking of shades of gray, it's like you know what how people feel about the police and different communities vary widely from individual to individual individual neighborhood mm-hmm. to neighborhood and uh i wonder if they're going to do anything with that um probably i'd, I'd imagine <laughs> uh we see we go over to um baltimore county and they've got a big old crime board big old task force type crime board there's a couple names on it antonio shropshire aka brill we see a name to that face kyle wells who's aka is lou alexander campbell's aka munch I'm not sure if we're going to meet these guys. I think so, because usually whenever you're getting those slow camera fades, this is for like the, the early, the, the bright students to write down and take notes and do well on the test. So I imagine we're going to meet mm-hmm. them as we figure out more of what's going on in 2015. Um, this Kilpatrick guy that they meet, what did you make of him when, when, we, when, when we met him? He seemed like he was going to be a real pill. Um when you first see him and maybe that's, you know, my biases and expectations, but like I see the guy, he's from a different department. I think, Oh God, he's going to, he makes a comment about, are you making me work on my lunch break to look up this one thing? Seemed like he was going to be kind of a dick. And that immediately turned around. I felt like Mm -hmm. he was kind of super cool by the end of this scene. Cause he's like, yeah, we all got to work together. And he's coming along for the investigation of this guy, giving him information. It's, Helping to make his case, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, he also has. Um, he he just he's got this kind of like he reminds me of the like Herc from The Wire. He's got this kind of meathead type of aura about him, but he's also really smart. Like the way he talks yeah. and the way he brings desperate information together and makes inferences, and the way he talks about because like there is there's got to be something Sisyphean about a cop's job, especially when you're talking about narcotics. Mm-hmm. Like my God. My God, like what what they're saying in twenty seven in the twenty fifteen is just what they were saying in Baltimore circa two thousand that which was what they were saying in Baltimore circa nineteen ninety which is we're never going to make a dent in this. This is and, like and everything they're doing the to make the dent makes the makes the problem worse, right? It's like right. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a stupid thing to police anyway, and it, it's, policing it's like just makes it worse. It's one thing you got to understand about why the cops are so fucked up nowadays is there's a lot of nihilism. It's very easy to sure. be like, well, shit, we can't care more than the people passing the laws and people passing the budgets, and, and you know, we're, we're giving these contradictory, impossible. So, like, I think we should come away with an appreciation of why this is hard from a multifaceted 360 degree angle. And and some of it is also, we have these guys enforcing laws that are dumb and don't make sense and are outdated, which yeah. causes all the you know problems we talked about in the bunny Colvin paper bags get uh, 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 vignette that we talked about mm-hmm. anyway. Um, they, so they get the, 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 this Kilpatrick guy seems like he's a decent guy. He's got a lot of information about Anderson, including where he's laying his head what vehicle he's driving, where he's doing business, and they decide to join their county forces and work together. Also, another interesting thing is they reiterate that these guys are not afraid of the Baltimore Police Department, and we're going to yeah. see just how far that, that goes, because they're now going to start surveilling this Anderson guy, and they're running like a not-quite-Hamsterdam, sure, but what I would call a broad-daylight open-air drug market. Yeah, I've seen criminals in Breaking Bad be smarter and more sure. more on the sly than this. Yeah, like like Officer Dreamboat's like they got a goddamn drive through. Uh, the way uh, they're just running, this is like McDonald's. You pull up, the guy takes your order. He tells you to pull through the second window. It's a it's a slick operation. <laughs> um, so they get the guy, they get the the positive identification, they get his plate uh, plates. Um, they get a GPS. Uh, the, the Hawk puts a GPS uh, so they can start trailing him and figure out where he's going. Uh, they get authorization. They meet with a judge uh, who's who I think is familiar with the gun trace task force and kind of prep her on what all they're trying to do and what all warrants they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're again, doing things like, the right way. Yeah, and again, I really like this is the part like of the the Simon shows I like where the cops are like the the, the good cops, quote unquote, good police, and they're doing good police work and they're real sharp and they're putting things together. Um, you know the other thing we didn't mention about that back in the scene where they're talking to the guy whose girlfriend or whatever has died overdose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- they don't even bust this guy right for drug possession or anything. Um, what they do is they say, "Hey, if you're doing this shit, if you're going to keep doing it, you should have some Narcan on hand right. to take care of situations like this." And right, I feel like that's a better way to do things. Um, but yeah. Yeah, trying to find, you know, if you're going to do prosecute war on drugs, it seems like you want to go easy on the users. You want to come heavy on the guys moving a lot of weight. Um, not right. saying you do, but if you're going to do it, that, that'd that be the correct way to do it. Right. Um, they also have some funny scenes where, because uh, I haven't, I don't know if the episodes told, told me this, but I surmise that Hawk's a bit of a rookie himself, a detective. Um, and McDougal's making him kind of do the shit work, typing up reports, and he's busting his balls for mm-hmm. not spelling uh, affiant right. What what is a faint? And showing <laughs> yeah. like you know like because a lot of the jo- a lot of cops' job is thankless paperwork too. Like sure. you know you wanna you wanna be Dick Tracy and bust the bad guys, but a lot of it's doing this. Police work's hard, man. Doing good police work anyway. Um. So they find out that this guy in the la- at the last minute is, is splitting his time between his apartment and this red roof in. The judge gives him a warrant to bust into both of them. Um, however, what they don't know is the whole G-Money heist uh, has, has happened in the meantime. So yeah. they do a coordinated bust in this guy. 
and his apartment's cleaned out, but also they've seen that it's been busted into within a few days ago, mm-hmm. and the hotel's got nothing. They're just there because they're probably scared out of their minds. Um, and they busted. So they're trying to recover. The kill patch like, well, at least get my tracker because those things are expensive. Jim, scandal. There's two fucking trackers. And I don't think we saw the first time around when he puts the tracker on the truck. I don't think there was a second. So I get placed in like the day. It was a weird angle where I would believe that if there was another one on there, you wouldn't see it. Okay. And it's very dark under there. Maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but it's My mind entirely wants to possible. say, did they place that there within that period uh, between the two events? I don't know. Um, yeah, a big scandal. There's a second tracker. So who else is tracking him? Uh, yeah, and it's it's not likely that the that any of the dealers or whatever would have a tracker on him. It's got to be another law enforcement group. And so. they go back to the precinct. They do some due diligence. And they find out that there's a John L. Cluel who we met, the choir boy, ex marine mm-hmm. police officer. Uh, uh, from the previous scene, it's his tracker, and they want to find out why it's on a Cherokee. Yeah. Now, McDougal decides he, he's wisely for the gun task, the gun trace task force, right? He's working yes, for them. Yes. Yeah. But I, I think he's, I mean, uh, by the the dirty cop's own admission, he's a choir boy. He's clean. So, uh-huh. um, but McDougal, he sagely says, "Well, let's just instead of like going to this guy and say, hey, we found your tracker, let's keep it to ourselves.'" This guy is a criminal informant in the system. This guy, if he's paying attention, should get a ping that we've got him. Let him come to us. And mm-hmm. also, let's also let the feds who are part of this investigation, let's know, let them know about it too. I think this is the beginning of the end of, you know, this, this, is the, this is the very first hit that got G-Money and everybody on the FBI's radar. Seems uh, like it. So, yeah. Um, and then that's it. That's it for McDougal and Hawk. That's where we leave them. The rest of the information, the, rest, the bulk of the rest of the episode involves uh, a civil rights attorney, Nicole Steele, working for the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division. Uh, I think we mentioned this before, but Nicole Steele is played by one me, Masako, who we really liked on um, Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country. Country. And she yeah. was one of the temporal agents and Loki probably will be in next season, too. Uh, she's driving to work and she comes upon cops making a street arrest and they have a crowd of approximately two dozen people all with cell phones out screaming, fuck the police. Uh, the police in a fit of peak say, you know what? Fuck this police yourselves, uncuff the guy and just walk away from the rest, which is shocking to miss Steele, mm-hmm. who goes to her civil rights attorney's office and talks, uh, one of her fellow coworkers was already there seeing the, the video going viral and they talk about what it means. She opines that after a Freddie Gray situation, uh, the police feel like they have to police the right way. Then they're not going to police at all. Uh, here's where I'd like to take a little detour and talk about Freddie Gray. Do you know anything about the Freddie Gray situation? I don't know. Okay. So on April 12, 2015, Freddie Carlos Gray Jr. who's a 25 year old black man was arrested by the BPD over a, what turned out to be a legal possession of a, a knife. While he's being transported in a police van, uh, Gray sustained injuries, was taken to the uh, trauma center. Uh, he died seven days later due to the deaths uh, that he sustained uh, in this vehicle. Uh, his death is ascribed to injuries in his, uh, to his spinal cord. Um, so the six Baltimore police officers were suspended. 
The circumstances of the injuries were initially unclear. Eyewitness accounts suggested the officers involved used unnecessary force against Gray during the arrest, a claim denied by all officers involved. Commissioner Anthony W. Batts, who is the one who uh, we're going to find out walked off the job here in a minute, mm-hmm. reported that contrary to the department policy, the officers did not secure Gray inside the van while driving to the police station. This policy had been put in effect six days prior to Gray's arrest, following review of other transport-related injuries sustained during police custody in the city and elsewhere in the country during the preceding years. Apparently, I guess the BPD and, and other departments, too, have this policy of giving people rough rides where they put you in the back of a paddy wagon. Uh, in Gray's case, he was bound at the foot and hand. They don't put you in a police belt, and they just bounce you around in the inside of that metal cage with you completely unable to anticipate anything. Um, and it can fuck you up, as we're about to find out. Uh, so the medical investigator found that Gray had sustained injuries while during the tra- his transport. The MOs, the medical examiner's office concluded that Gray's death could not be ruled an accident, was instead a homicide because officers failed to follow the safety procedures through acts of omission. In May, the Baltimore City State's Attorney uh, Marilyn Mosby, Mosby announced their office had filed charges against six police officers after the ME's report ruled his, Gray's death a homicide. The prosecutor stated they had probable cause to file criminal charges against the six police officers who was believed to be involved in the murder. Uh, the officer driving the van was charged with second-degree depraved heart murder, quote-unquote, for his indifference to the considerable risk that Gray might be killed, and others were charged with crimes ranging from manslaughter to illegal arrest. May 21st, a grand jury indicted the officers on most of the original charges filed, with the exception of the charges of illegal imprisonment and false arrest, but added charges of reckless endangerment to all officers involved. Um, as you can imagine, Gray's hospitalization and subsequent death led to a series of protests. On April 25th, 2015, a major protest in downtown Baltimore turned violent, resulting in 34 arrests and injuries to 15 police officers. Uh, after Gray's funeral on April 27th, civil disorder intensified with looting and burning of local businesses, um, culminating in a state of de- emergency de- declaration by the, the Governor Hogan and the Maryland Baltimore or the Maryland National Guard being deployed to Baltimore. Uh, in September 2015, it was decided there would be separate trials for all the accused. The trial against Officer William Porter ended a mistrial. Officers Nero, Goodson, and Rice were acquitted. And the remaining charges against the officers were dropped in July 27, 2016. So that's just a high-level incident. This man was in police custody. He sustained injuries that he later died from. There was a shitstorm, protests, and riots. Uh, after a year of investigation, the officers were essentially cleared of wrongdoing. And that's it. So that's where, like, we're joining the 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 we're we're, we're joining the the series already in progress. Yeah. Um. So after we took that detour down Freddie Gray Street, uh, Nicole uh, Steele finds out that she has a new partner. Um, this guy named Ahmed, who is a new civil rights attorney uh, lawyer who started as in Philly working as a prosecutor, I think. And saw enough shit that he decided to transfer to the Civil Rights Department and was shunted over to Baltimore. Um, there's a little bit of, like, this is comedy, right? Like, mm-hmm. everyone's disbelief that Trump could even get a nomination. But it's right. also an explanation for the perception within the department that the Civil Rights Office ceases to exist during Republican administrations. Like, mm-hmm. you, you go there to die. And it's, that's kind of a grim foreshadowing for our heroes, seeing how this is 2015 or Right, yeah, that that they're they're staring 
turned down to Vera Love. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also describes that they don't have doesn't really have a lot of official power. They don't do a lot of like actually suing people. They do a lot more of handshakes and twisting arms. Yeah, maybe getting people to enforce policies and laws that are already on the books, um, and they have the authority to enforce. Yeah, and I think it's going to be because we we see some a lot of this in the episode, the rest of the episode. Uh, her and Ahmed have breakfast, and she talks about the job being grim. This is her fourth go round that she's been involved in police scandals in Seattle, Cincinnati, our fair city. New Orleans, and now she's here. She actually got here before the Freddie Gray situation, uh, but since then, the mayor, like you mentioned, went all in um, and requested like them to come in and do an investigation. But she also mentioned it's interesting that like that's nice of the mayor, but she hinted that like with this shitstorm, that's like the mayor didn't have any chance. It's almost like she put a. It's like you can't fire me, I quit. You can't investigate me. I'm inviting you to investigate. You know, kind of situation. Um. There's a lot of grim statistics here that like Baltimore is a city of mm-hmm. 600,000 people, but the BPD has put up 300,000 pedestrian stops in the last five years. Only 4% even issued, uh, what resulted in the issuing of a citation or arrest. There's seven black males in the Baltimore system that's been stopped 30 times in the last five years. Um, and they're both, so both these people are black and they have this conversation about like anger. What did you think of her? She said, yeah, I'm angry, but I don't make it my everything. I don't know. I mean, how could you live your life if you did, you know? Yeah. It would just eat like, you. It would eat at you. That's, at some point, you have to kind of detach and compartmentalize or you can't do the job. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, it's about that handshakes and 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 arm bending and stuff like that too, right? Like she could go in there all full of fury and try and like, be this righteous uh, tidal wave that just sweeps over everybody. But how far is that actually going to get her, right? She might right. be the type that sees uh, a little more subtle of an approach as more effective. Definitely setting her up to be that. Yeah, it gets in a way the handshake stuff, the the unbridled anger. So her I have unbridled and- anger. Can I talk about my unbridled anger? Because this, this is the whole part Alicia. of the thing where, <laughs> where they talk about the consent decrees. Um, and the, the mayor brought in the DOJ investigation to try to support getting a consent decree signed with the BPD, I guess, um, mm. and, and the previous commissioner. The concept, I didn't know what a consent decree was. The concept of a dis- consent decree is that essentially a judge brokers a deal with third parties to say, hey, we don't admit any wrongdoing. But there was definitely illegal activity happening because you don't get a, dissent, a consent decree without one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the consent decree says, we'll stop doing these things that you say are illegal if you stop prosecuting us. It's like the biggest get out of jail free card that I can't even believe exists. Like it's such a, it's such an insane idea. Like you could just say, you know, it's like if you were a murderer going around murdering people and the cops came to you and arrested you and said, that's illegal and we're going to prosecute you. And you said, how about you don't? And I'll just stop murdering people. That's fucked up. That that's fundamentally fucked, fucked up. up. It is fucked up. But I think the the nuance here is that like, and this is something I don't think a lot of people appreciate, that policing in America is largely left to the states and particularly the cities. Like 
you know, mm-hmm. there isn't like a uniform conduct of justice throughout the United States. And sure, it's very sure. location dependent. And it's set up that way for a reason, you know, like our, you know, we're a, a big, big republic type of thing, federal, federalized republic. Mm-hmm. So a consent decree is where the federal government doesn't have the authority to like dictate to states how they should police. But what they do have is at the federal level, a certain right of, of civil rights that you're guaranteed as citizens. Yeah. And the special circumstance of a consent decree as it applies to federal versus the state or local is a consent decree essentially is, is the city or location saying we have fucked up civil rights so much that we are going to voluntarily let the feds come in to essentially kind of like, like arbitrate and remake a whole bunch of policies to bring us in line with civil rights in lieu of, you know, I don't know, getting uh, the whole city slapped with a bunch of federal, like, you know, with, with an, an embroiling up a big battle between the, the courts, the state courts and federal courts. So it's kind of like, it just it lets everybody be, off the hook. It's, it, it, but it shouldn't be like that. What it should be is, um, a, like you should hold individual bad actors accountable, but yeah. also remake the system so these things don't happen again. But of it course. seems like the we own the city perspective is in practice, this is a way to shield blame. And so I was like, what's the two yeah, step and, here? Th- we- and then it's then it's an annoyance, right, to the people who have to work under this new consent decree uh, right. reform. So like the mayor that's asked for this tells Nicole that she's going to step down. So the effect of this is they're going to file this consent decree and this report and make a whole bunch of recommendations. And the new mayor is going to be like, ah, well, these are some these were certainly problems with the old regime. But we mm-hmm. got a new com- police commissioner and I'm a new mayor and we've got a new administration and we're going to. And essentially start from I think. But old mayor has resigned. She's already out of the picture. Who cares? Like we're not going to prosecute, right? Like right. The the people that they've been punished enough. The people have been brought. Like they've been ousted. It's that kind of okey doke situation they're pulling on the public. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um. So she goes around the route. She goes talk to the mayor. It's disappointing. She's talk about. uh, They talk about how. Uh, the police are not policing because they're mad about their o- fellow officers being charged. Um, uh, Steele goes to the prosecuting department and asks for uh, the poster child for a bad cop, and they come back with this guy named Daniel Herschel, Herschel mm-hmm. and he's got 50 cases against him where people have complained about him stepping uh, overstepping his civic responsibilities and, and the law. But he's beat every, he's had 50 reports and he's got zero that have been sustained. Uh, yeah. And, and then, this boggles her mind. Like, it boggles how, how her can mind. everybody know that this guy is a bad actor and yet he's still out on the streets uh, arresting people? So then we cut to see a little bit of Hersel in action. Um, and he's hassling a guy who is played by Slim Charles, the, the guy who's Slim Charles in uh, uh, The Wire. And he's hassling a guy for uh, essentially rolling through a stop, but who even knows if he did? You know, we've already right. seen cops fake evidence here, fake probable cause. Uh, he asked for the guy's wallet, uh, he asked for his ID, demands to get seen the guy's. He just goes through this guy's wallet, throws his cards, uh, gets his address, says, you know, notices he lives in a nice neighborhood, sarcastically congratulates him as, on his success. This is all taking place in front of this guy's child, by the way. Mm hmm. You know, demeans this guy, and then uh, when he finds out there's nothing, this guy he's got nothing on this guy. 
he lets him go with his smarmy. Try not to bl- break the law. And a little bit less lip next time, sir. And a wink at his kid. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's a pretty gross. And I tell you, if you want some homework for this podcast, I if you haven't listened to season three of the Serial Podcast, where they do an in-depth dive into the criminal justice system of Cleveland, Cleveland County in Ohio, I recommend you, I think it's episode three, they deal with this particular cop who's very like this Hersel guy where he deliberately needles and bemeans the defendants before him to try to get them to snap or swear or break character so that he can sure. find them in contempt and, and make their life living hell. I don't know why it's legal. Like, it's one thing it if you're doing be. this with people who are well defended and have the means and the, the home life, but like to pick on people who are underprivileged that have overworked public defenders to try to get them into some kind of a mo, which is not that hard. It's not that hard if you've got people that, you know, have slipped through the system's cracks to get them to reveal the fact that, oh, they had a terrible family life and they weren't t- uh, taught to uh, in, uh, control their impulses. And maybe they've been eating lead paint, uh, been had lead paint exposure their whole fucking life. And they're going to fucking snap at this judge who is telling them they're deadbeat and they're, you know, this is just, just crazy shit that they say to provoke these people. Anyway, um, that's Hersel. We're going to meet him again before we're done here. Still meets with the judge who has had dealings with this guy. He talks about not only do you got the 50 complaints, but he's perjured himself so much. He's almost on a list of 24 Baltimore police officers who can no longer testify at court because they have such a huge record of uh, uh, perjuring themselves that they can't be taken seriously by the court. Mm -hmm. What would you do with these cops? Give them desk duty? Because they can no longer enforce the law. You fire them. You fire them. But Why the, is it but so the, hard? I, I know. Because I, so that's right? the thing that I can't... This is where the... Um, they, they, the, the, the all cops are bastards. Uh, a, few, uh, a few apples spoil the barrel. I, I have a hard time with because... Yeah, these guys who are the worst of the worst, why can't you just fire them? Sure. I mean, the unions are backing them. You know, the, the And the rank and file, they talk about that. Yeah, the rank right? and file, police officers, the unions, they're all... Right. Behind their guys, you know. So that's her next stop is to go to the the police commissioner who's recently been replaced. And he's like, look, I'm not afraid to rule under consent decree. I've done it in the city before. Um, and they talk about, like, why guys like Herschel are not being dismissed. And he's like, because he's got 50 complaints and he's he's beat them all in court. He's mm-hmm. he's cleared the IAD investigation and he makes arrests. He's still not afraid to enforce the law. Um, yeah. With the That's... work slowdown and with the, the scene we see earlier of the cops just giving up on an arrest. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and he's like, I, that's what lets me beat the union, beat the rank and file. Like if this guy gets, catches these perjury charges or catches these uh, civil rights complaints and I can do something about it. But until that happens, he's untouchable. Yeah. Uh, which leads us to the final vignette of uh, Hersel tossing this guy's car, probably under some bullshit suspension. His partner, whoever the officer at the scene there, says it's clean. The man's clearly upset and says, you've done all this for nothing. Uh, Hersel gets in his face and bumps him. And when the man reacts, he clubs him to the ground. Uh, the guy's bleeding and his partner, he's, he's uh, changes the call from a paddy wagon to an ambulance because... You're the one that banged him. I'm not getting an indictment for your dumb ass. Yeah. To which Herschel says, everyone's fucking sensitive. 
and then he tells the guy he's all right and theatrically steps over him like he's not concerned. Um, real piece of shit. <laughs> he's a real piece of shit, but it's interesting because he is a contrast to Jenkins, right? Because Jenkins totally. is both by, I think, the letter of the action and what he's saying, trying to be the opposite of this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's interesting, Jenkins, the one that's in custody at the end of this episode, and Herschel is still dispensing justice on the street. I wonder if they're doing something with that contrast, too. Seems like it. And I, I want to say, oh, well, maybe Jenkins was just sloppier, but I look at the activities here, and this guy's fucking sloppy as hell. I mean, if one of those people has a cell phone, if... if on him at that time you know if his partner really doesn't go along with him and reports his ass like i mean granted he's been reported 50 times but um apparently by that's civilians. not enough it's it's yeah, right by civilians. for the cops to report themselves totally uh so it, so i i'm looking at that and i'm like well you know if a guy this sloppy can get away with it then what did jenkins do it does seem like the body cams is this a solution to this oh of course i mean that that goes a long way it says a lot to that to the extent that I know I know I know that this is kind of there's a lot of difficulties involved in body cams because like you know how do you store all that in a secure manner? It's now like criminal evidence all the time. How do you square an officer's private life versus his public duties? But I think that there's answers to all those questions. There are police departments that have effectively put them in, and I think that whatever money you spend on it's going to be worth it. Well, I forget they named a figure here about how many billions or millions of dollars, like one instance of police brutality costs the city, even mm-hmm. if it clears through, like, you know, you might clear through IAD and you not get criminal charges, but I bet and, and uh, a lot of those guys in the Freddie Gray got some wrongful death stuff that the city ended up having to pay for. So it's like, sure. yeah, maybe body cameras and all that data retention is going to be expensive, but Jesus Christ, a couple seven, eight-figure civil rights lawsuits, mm-hmm. money well spent. And I think it says a lot that several departments are resistant to having those cameras on their officers, you know? Yeah, absolutely. (sighs) That is the episode. Yeah, I I like what they're setting up here um, with this side of the the situation. Um, Because it is like there's a a shell game being played with responsibility and accountability. And that to me is maybe the most interesting thing they're doing here with the new police commissioner coming in. You know, it's hard for him to take any responsibility. He wasn't here when all this shit happened, and he's presumably right. here to clean it up. And then look at the mayor resigning, and, and, and there's a comment that she makes later, like, to to the newbie who's coming in for the first time, who's, like, asking, you know, why do you drink your breakfast? And, and she's, like, and maybe he's starting to understand it, right? Because when she mm-hmm. says, like, the same politician who promised to fix things up won't have to be the politician who actually does it. Mm-hmm. And that's... That's I feel like that's the whole game right there. You know, people promise things and then they move on and somebody else comes in and won't live up to their promises and yeah. gets blamed for it. And it's, yeah, just a big shell game. It just seems like there's such a huge pressure to give in to nihilism if you're on either totally. side. Like it's the nihilism that forces young boys into these lives of crime and violence. It's the nihilism that mm-hmm. forces police into like, fuck it. I don't like. I'm either going to get out of this and get to something else or I'm going to go with the flow or I'm not going to resist. And it's, it, 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 it infects the civil rights attorneys that grind and grind after city after city and things get a little bit better at, at, at the margins. Like how do you not, because the system is bred to 
give you that night because it's fundamentally shitty laws are being enforced unfairly um man it's just that's the thing about shows like the wire is like at the end of five seasons the wire is thoroughly entertained i knew a lot more than i did before i started watching it but at the end of the day it's like well now what do we do and the answers are like what you know there's, there's not like there's a couple of things i think we should do but like they're not like still popular like you know uh in in the war on drugs that's that's one thing we could sure. do um i i wonder if there'll be a little bit something a little bit more directive about like what we should do at the end of this is there going to be some kind of greater thesis because damn yeah uh, i don't know we'll see that nihilism also affects us citizens you know mm-hmm. like uh enough elections don't go our way or go our way and still we don't get what we think we're wanting out of it like when yep. do you know when do you check out and stop showing up at the ballot box it's all it's all uh, scary, heady stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Do you have the answers for us, dear listener? Did we get anything wrong? Do you have some more information that you want to share with us? Uh, uh, did, did we miss out a Wire cameo? I know we did. Uh, the com- police commissioner was uh, oh, McDulty right. Sergeant. I forgot the, the gentleman's name. Uh, send all that stuff in to corners at baldmove.com because we're taking them back. Corners at baldmove.com. We'll be back next week. Depending on how much feedback we get, we'll either bust this out as a standalone feedback episode. If we get a smattering, we can fit it in in the episode. We'll probably release it that way. Mm-hmm. So it's up to you guys. Uh, corners at baldmove.com. Either way, we'll be, be back here next uh, week when a new episode of, the, of uh, We Own the City drops. Uh, we release at the same time. Um, so check out baldmove.com as soon as you get... Uh, Uh, finished episode two for our complete coverage there and we'll see you next week until then i'm aaron and i'm jim later